Welcome to How We Run, the podcast about nonprofit success. I'm Trent Stamp, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lacature, and I help nonprofits with strategy, fundraising, and digital media. On today's episode, we're talking about institutional fundraising, and we're joined by Melissa Kambongsa from PATH, People Assisting the Homeless. Melissa talks about grant writing and fundraising, and she gives great advice about how to answer that dreaded question about how you will sustain your program past the term of this grant. And as always, Trent provides great information about how to maintain relationships with funders. Hi, Trent. Hi, Julie. What's the worst mistake anyone has ever made in a grant to you? I would say misspelling my name, which happens about once a week. I feel like you have a pretty simple name to spell. You would think. What do you um, get? Stump, trance, trance stumps? I would get all kinds of things like that. I also routinely get uh, Fred Alley or Wendy Guerin or oh, one of the heads other, of other foundation foundations. leaders in the community who they didn't bother to even change up oh, the name yikes. when they wrote a letter. Yikes. Well, all right. That's a pretty. That's a pretty bad one. Anything in the application itself that you see frequently? Um, I mean, I think we we oftentimes get people who don't understand what we do. You know, who don't understand that we fund intergenerational programs or that we fund exclusively in Los Angeles County or you know the size or type of grants that we make. It just amazes me that they didn't bother to do their homework. That they're just operating off a list. From somewhere mm-hmm. um, and just sending it out. If you don't have the time to uh, to figure out what we do, how can you ask me to take the time to figure out what you do? So I just I'm just surprised continually by the number of people who who don't seem to understand what it is that that we fund or why we fund it, and, and you know, and what our fabric is as an organization. Yeah, that's come up a couple of times. Um, what's the best way to recover from a mistake like that? Spelling a name wrong or having the wrong name or... You're not going to recover yeah? um, at our organization. I mean, you know, you spell my name wrong, we're done. I'm not even going to continue to the next paragraph because we get way too many applications and way too many people who, who do it right for us to bother to proceed with those that have made it easy for us. Funding decisions become very difficult. Um, There are way too many organizations out there that I'd like to fund, that meet our criteria, that have good leadership, good goals, and are going to have impact in their community. And oftentimes, those organizations, I still have to tell some of them no. And that makes me sad. But if you make it easy for me by not understanding what we do or exceeding our LOI guidelines or by spelling my name wrong or putting the wrong date on or any of those types of things, then you've just made my job easier and we can move forward and I'll reward those that are able to demonstrate more professionalism. All right, that's it. You're done. At least for a year, you are. For a year. Okay, that's fair. Um, So our guest today comes from People Assisting the Homeless, PATH, uh, which is a pretty big organization here in Los Angeles. And she heads uh, institutional giving. And one of the things that Melissa says is that they really don't do the work on a grant until they've spoken to the foundation. And they've been asked questions and they can ask questions. You think this is good advice? I think it's good advice for them because they raise a ton of money. If we approached it from the other direction, which is as a funder, I don't have time to do introductory phone calls. We try to make the LOI process as simple as possible. But to me, every organization sounds pretty good in a five-minute phone call. And I'm not going to make a decision based on that five-minute phone call anyway. So all we've done is waste each other's time. So we try to let make sure that you apply for the LOI. We make it relatively easy lifting. But there are certain things that we want to know. We want you to demonstrate to us in that process. And so when people 
people say, can I come sit with you and tell you about my program? If I did that all day long, I wouldn't do any other work. So if she's able to get to where she's able to get with that methodology, I wish her the best. But we're going to require an LOI before we even start the conversations. Yeah, she did make a distinction between an LOI. They would be they they always do those. But in terms of like the larger grant application is where she's insisting that her team is having conversations with people. That's fine. We're happy to have a conversation once we've approved you for a proposal. But we get roughly a thousand LOIs because we have an open application process. A thousand? Wow. Uh-huh. We have an open process. We let anybody apply who thinks that they're eligible for what we have to do. Mm-hmm. If I spent, you know. 10 minutes with each one of them on a phone call, that would be my year. Yeah, easily. So for smaller organizations, though, so the LOI process is really important. Um, What are you looking for in LOIs? Um, Fit, obviously, that they know what they're applying for from you. Um, But anything else that makes somebody stand out? I think just a real kind of clear vision for what they do. I'm always scared when people start to tell me about why we really want to fund them. Um, and turn it around on me. Tell me what you do. Mm-hmm. Tell me why what you do is relevant. And keep in mind the fact that while you may only write one LOI a week or a day, I may read 50. So, you know, it's like college applications or something. You know, what makes you unique? Stand out for me. Stand out for people who read these things all the time and let me know why what you do is relevant, important, um, in a succinct manner. Um, this is not your opportunity to throw everything in there that you've ever wanted to say to a funder. Tell me what you have to say and then get out. My name is Melissa Kambongza, and I'm the Senior Director of Institutional Giving for PATH, People Assisting the Homeless. Melissa, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. Tell us a little bit about PATH. PATH, uh, People Assisting the Homeless, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to end homelessness for individuals, families, and communities. Uh, We're located here in Los Angeles, but we actually have sites throughout the state in San Diego, Santa Barbara, and San Jose. What are all the things you do to end homelessness? Right. So it is a difficult task to end homelessness where we work really hard. We provide a number of services um, with the ultimate goal of housing an individual. So we provide anything from case management to mental health services, employment services, uh, rapid rehousing. Um, And then we also have a real estate development arm called Path Ventures, which actually builds permanent supportive housing throughout the state. And so you are the director of institutional giving. What does that mean? Yes. So (laughs) institutional giving, fundraising. Um, I'm a fundraiser at heart. Our development department at PATH is actually structured um, where we oversee all private, corporate, and government fundraising. Um, So anything from working on a big you know, federal VA grant to a small family foundation grant for $5,000 and also focusing on individual giving, donors, uh, events, things like that. I oversee our grants department. So uh, again, the federal contracts, grant research and grant writing. So in grant writing, so let's talk, let's talk about that first. (laughs) One of the things I hear all the time from foundations is I wish they would 
read the questions and answer the question that we're asking. How do you get the volume of grants out that you need, but also meet the requirements of those grants? Definitely. So I would say um, in the world of philanthropy, not only here in Los Angeles, but I think throughout the U.S., it's a very skilled and specific market, I would say. I think, uh, you know, certain individuals need to understand how philanthropy works, how, um, you know, a program officer from a foundation uh, has to have a relationship with a nonprofit agency. It's a lot of work, but I would say probably the most important thing is relationship building. Um, At PATH, since we are a large organization, um, you know, we're currently a $60 million organization with over 500 staff. Uh, Our mission is to end homelessness. So since that is such a a hot topic issue right now, um, we actually haven't uh, had the issue of... um, reaching out to certain foundations and them not, you know, picking up the that phone or them reaching back out to us. We've actually had a lot of philanthropic partners reach out to us and say, how can we help in the area of homelessness? Um, but going back to that relationship building, it's it's so crucial to have that relationship with the program officer. Yeah, that's really uh, great to hear you say that, because I think in my experience, fundraising, it's always a partnership and you need to have that relationship very rarely do you get grants from saying i found this grant online and i applied and i got it right like that doesn't happen that often um so can you describe how you build those relationships definitely so i think um you know, there's there's a whole process, and I think it starts with research, um, from a basic Google search to looking at the foundation's website, or even kind of digging deeper and looking at you know their tax forms or their 990. Um, I always look at the foundation's mission to see if we align and if we're a good fit. You know, if you know Path is a homeless agency, but if the foundation only serves education and after school programs, we wouldn't fit into their guidelines or their mission. So I think, you know, that basic research, looking at the guidelines, seeing if they fit. Once I cross off all those things on my checklist in terms of eligibility, then the next thing I do is just try to is reach out. So if Again, picking up the phone, sending an email, inviting them to PATH for a tour to meet with our CEO. Um, I make it a point to build that relationship just because, you know, it'll be difficult to ask for maybe $100,000 if you don't know anyone at the foundation or they don't know about you and they haven't talked to you. So say that research and then finding a way to to meet with that program officer, or the foundation CEO. And then it's the application process, correct? Yes. And sometimes I would say even the application process is, you know, the last step. I think that foundation needs to be built. But um, my team, we look at a $5,000 application the same way we would look at maybe a half a million dollar application. And sometimes on those $5,000 applications, they ask more questions and you need, you know, more of that information filled out than maybe the the half a million dollar application. Um, Just because those relationships are so important, um, a family foundation, you know, will sit there and read every single word that you write and will ask questions. So we put in as much time to, you know, the smaller, easier applications versus the long 100 page applications. Do you ever apply for a grant without the relationship part? Rarely. Mm -hmm. I always tell my team 
we have to make sure we're a good fit and we have to at least try to reach out to them. You know, there have been cases where, you know, it says send the letter here, mail it here. And we'll do that just because it doesn't hurt. Um, But we won't. What I won't do is invest as much time, you know, writing this 20 hour grant, knowing that it's a really cold prospect and it probably won't have that, you know, return on investment. So it sounds like LOI, sure, happy to send an introductory letter, a letter of intent. That's fine to spend time on, but a whole grant application when we haven't even had the conversation, it's off the list. Exactly. Yeah, I I don't think that it's and I don't think the foundation would appreciate that either. You know, seeing that we've spent all this time where we're not a good fit or they haven't invited us to apply. And I think that for small organizations can be a really scary it's, it seems like a risky strategy. Yes, it is. And I think fundraising is probably um, one of the most like scariest, difficult jobs. I don't think anyone, you know, goes into college or undergrad, at least I didn't, and said, you know, I want to graduate and be a fundraiser, <laughs> you know, where I want to sit down and write a 20 hour grant application. So <laughs> it's definitely intimidating at times. But I think the best thing is just to take it step by step and make sure, you know, those boxes are checked and um, that, you know, try to reach out to a foundation or a program officer. Uh, What would you say the keys to success in your job are? Patience and I would say really working collaboratively with the team. So I think in terms of being patient, um, you know, sometimes funders have a deadline once a year. You know, they'll say submit by January 1st of every year. So, you know, if it's March and that deadline has passed, um, being patient and saying, okay, well, they just closed out their grant cycle. They may not, you know, they're reading uh, all the submissions from this previous cycle. So just to be patiently persistent and just, you know, keep checking websites um, or even if a funder says, you know, call me in three months to make sure to not call before that time, wait until the three months, then give them a call. And then the second thing I would say is collaboration with uh, staff, you know, someone in the case of PATH, being on the ground, talking with the case manager, trying to get their success stories, learning about what they do day to day and how they deal with our clients. And then also just managing up, talking with um, the CEO to see, you know, what his vision is and make sure that everything, you know, kind of falls in line to, to produce the best work that I can in terms of an application. That's great. I think you said two really important things in there. And one is patience, but it's really follow-up, like patient follow-up, right? Definitely. There's an art to the check-in. Yes. And, And it's, yeah, it's really interesting. I think following up, you have to time it in a way, you know, where you don't want to be so pesty and annoying to the program officer or the foundation. Um, but again, that, yeah, that following up and that that persistence of um, saying, hi, you know, I'm still here. Sorry to bug you, but just wanted to check in. Have a great day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's super important just to show them that, you know, we're really interested and we want to have that partnership with them. Well, and I think the other thing you said in there, too, is... Um working with the staff to get their stories. So it's you're very active in seeking those out, not waiting for stories to bubble up to you or to bubble across to you maybe, yes. um, but really going after them. And I think that that's a challenge with many organizations or, or what are the stories from the front line? 
Yeah, that's so true. And I think stories are so important. You know, storytelling is what really captivates an audience. Um, our organization, you know, our mission is to to end homelessness. Um, our motto is making it home. So what we strive for, our case managers, our program directors, our staff is to really help that individual make it home. So something that I always share and I love to share is that PATH helps 23 people move into their home each week. So for us, that's really huge. And it's a really good point that we make and we love to share. But I think tying maybe one of those 23 individuals and sharing that success story is just amazing. And it's emotional. So our team does do a really good job of uh, working with our case managers and saying, hey, please send us that picture. Like, grab a quote from mom and son. They just moved into their apartment. We'd love to see that picture. And so we actually, you know, if our clients allow it, we'll take a picture of them holding a sign that says, I made it home. And that's always so powerful. And they hold the sign. And, you know, sometimes a family member will hold the keys and that's their forever home. And so we love sharing those stories. And I think it really, it it hits home, you know, with our funders because it, you know, they can see their, their dollars and their investment actually working. So storytelling is definitely important. And it's interesting to hear you talk about that with institutions, because I think sometimes we think institutions just want to hear numbers or see pie charts. Yeah, the stories make a world of difference. And um, probably in the fundraising development world, it's like, you know, you you have to try to, you know, tug at those heartstrings and make them see the impact. And I always share a story of a mom and four sons just because I was there when she moved into her own home and her little boys were there. And we had a huge volunteer group that actually came and donated beds and, you know, dining table and kitchen supplies and paper towels. And um, just because I was there firsthand to witness that move in, I like to share that with funders. Um, It's not, you know, on a piece of paper, although we can, you know, kind of transfer that into the application. But I think sharing that story and just saying I was there, I witnessed it. This happens 23 times a week is so powerful. What about reporting back to funders? How much of that are you managing or does that get to does that go to somebody else? It it stays in our team. So we uh, report um we report on what our funders ask for. Um, sometimes they'll ask for a six-month check-in. Most of the time, it's you know annually, every twelve months. Um, and you know sometimes they'll ask, you know, were there any challenges? What were your successes? Anything you'd like to share? So for us, that's a great opportunity to to share those successes and everything that we've done. Path is able to record those successes and say, you know, just this month we helped over 60 people move in. So in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't sound that big compared to the 50,000 homeless Angelinos, but it's still, it's, you know, those steps and we're moving forward. And so we, we always try to share that with our reporting process as well. How do you share challenges or maybe missteps with funders? We're very transparent and we're honest. Um, I think that, you know, sending a report and saying everything was great and lovely is good. But I think it's also good to have that relationship with the funder and say, you know what, everything was great. But, you know, last September, we did experience this hiccup where this happened. But these are the steps we're taking to fix this. So 
I always uh, try to include, again, just being honest and transparent, uh, uh, the challenges that we experience, because I think that funders um, appreciate that honesty and that transparency. Um, and it just helps us grow as a as a nonprofit organization, too. So we always include both, even if they don't ask for it. Is there anything that you think institutional funders don't understand about your job? That's also a good question. I, I think recently a lot of program officers here in Los Angeles, I feel like they get it. I think that a lot have come from the nonprofit world, you know, from the social work world, from the education, health world. So they have that experience and, and understand what it is to work at a nonprofit organization. So I think that's been really helpful, at least talking to other development and fundraising colleagues where they say, you know, we're working with a foundation and they're great. They get it. They understand our challenges. I would say sometimes we have had foundations or program officers that reach out and say, you know, we need this. Can you prioritize this? So we have had to shuffle around a little bit and say, okay, yes, let me work on this. Or another example I can share is a program officer reaching out and asking for additional information on one of our programs. Um, So in that instance, I had to, you know, stop whatever I was working on that day, uh, reach out to our program director, interrupt her flow of, you know, her working with her program and say, here are these 10 questions. I'm really sorry, but we need this answer by the end of today. So I would say maybe sometimes funders, not that they don't remember that we, you know, the work that we're doing on the ground, but sometimes it's, uh, you know, it can be a little difficult to try to get, you know, what they're looking for and the timeline that that they want. Something I hear a lot from people is answering that question on grants. That's how how will you sustain operations? <laughs> you know, how are you sustainable? Yeah. What What's your plan there? And everyone says, well, the, the answer I want to say is I'll be back next year to ask you again for funding. Right. That's our plan. <laughs> um, how do you tackle that question? No, yeah, I've, it's funny you say that. I've, I've also probably had this conversation with other development folks where it's like, yeah, we're working on it. You know, we'll fundraise. Like, of course, we're going to try to keep our program and our nonprofit alive and well and sustainable. So at PATH, what our team has done is to say, okay, aside from, you know, saying we're going to fundraise and have events and that this program is so important to us, like what what are we going to do? And it's uh, thinking outside of the box for us, at least. So, you know, what we do say is aside from fundraising, uh, we're going to go back to our program team who really, you know, run all the work that we do and are on the ground, um, see what's important to them. And sometimes they are really specific you know, requests. So in some instances, it could be, you know, a request for furniture. So aside from saying, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fundraise for furniture, we'll say, okay, we'll, we'll try to create collaborations or partnerships with furniture companies. So we do try to answer that question and, you know, in the copy and pasted type of way, but also try to think outside the box and and give the funder uh, a more specific answer if we can. Yeah, that's interesting to think about what are non-monetary ways we can make mm-hmm. it sustainable. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think in my experience, at least it's always been in-kind donations or maybe pro bono work. But I think lately, at least in L.A., you know, it's such a vibrant community is how to collaborate with other organizations who are doing similar work um, and see, you know, how we can just share and work together. 
And so in your role, how do you work with the board? I get at least one or two emails from board members each week that say, hey, you know, I have a client who's working on this and they're interested and they want to donate. Can you have coffee with them? And we'll say, yes, of course. So um, it's great having that relationship with the board and then them, you know, again, getting that culture of philanthropy and and connecting um, their contacts with our staff. Well, I think it speaks really highly of you, too, that your board trusts you to do those intros. And it sounds like they are not necessarily saying, I need to be there, but I know you can handle it from here. So you can kind of increase the volume of what they're able to do. Yeah, it is really nice. And thank you. I think um, our board does have that that trust in, in me and my team. Um, one example is one of our board members recently connected us to a corporate foundation who in the past... Um, we weren't able to get a hold of. We, you know, I had emailed, I had reached out, um, did not receive a response. But when our board member directly reached out and sent an email and then followed up with the call, they invited us to apply. So, you know, that makes the world of a difference for us. And then she she was like, Melissa, write the application. I want to read it before you click submit. But, um, you know, other than that, she's like, go for it look at their priorities, you pick, you know, what the best uh, fit is. And that was a really successful grant for us, actually. And we we actually just received that about a month ago. And that was, I credit our board member. It's a team effort. I credit you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and your board member. Okay, fine. <laughs> Thank you. In, in working with a bunch of fundraisers, I feel like sometimes at the beginning, it feels like questions are can be annoying, right? Or it's um, or needling or um, you, it's easy to get defensive with questions. Right. But I think it's important to remember that if someone's asking questions, they're interested. Yes. And questions are good. Um, yeah, questions are good um, because you can, again, be transparent and also share any information that you have. Um, so we have had funders actually in the past um, who, you know, who say we're not experts in the area of homelessness. We know that your organization is. So tell us about homelessness. And it's a, you know, it's an open ended question. And so we then get to talk as experts in the field about what's going on in our community and how their foundation or their business can help support. So um, I love getting questions <laughs> from folks. Yeah. Or even questions. I've seen um, folks in meetings, you know, where a funder will ask a question and say, you know, and it sounds like they're disagreeing with the premise, but they're really just asking a question. And you can see someone get like defensive and get their feathers up. And you're like, no, no, no. Like they're asking a question because yeah. they want to know. Um, but have you had that where you go in to discuss a proposal and you get questions where it's clear they disagree? Yeah, we have. We have. Um you know, sometimes when we've done tours, um, we'll sometimes take folks um up to our shelter um, in Los Angeles, we have an 88 bed shelter um, off Beverly in Vermont. And, you know, some people drive by the 101 freeway and know that path is there, but might not necessarily realize that there's a shelter there that we have, you know, provide breakfast, lunch and dinner for the folks that are living there. Um Housing first is one of the things actually that funders have asked about um, the housing first model that exists um, in the work of homelessness. Um, and the housing first model basically saying you don't need to be 
free of drugs or you don't need to have everything taken care of, we're going to get you a place to live first, right? Exactly. And so, you know, I think the housing first model really shifted a lot of um, the paradigm here in Los Angeles with providing services because you're right. In the past, it was like, well, you need to be sober before you walk into our door, Um, you know, and studies have shown that that's not effective and that doesn't really help people need shelter they need a roof over their heads to become successful and and thrive um so we have actually have had some funders that say can you explain housing first and why you adopted that and um you know if there is someone who um you know, may not be sober or maybe dealing with certain issues in their lives, um, shouldn't they address those first? And it's a very valid question. And we, again, love receiving that uh, that question because then we can then answer it and, you know, in our most respectful way, try to educate the funder or anyone else for that matter who who may not understand. So um, we do get that question sometimes, but um, we love answering it. What's the best way to deliver bad news about a grant? We talked a little last week about how you were impressed with one organization that you fund uh, ability to be out ahead of the news. Um, are there other tips about delivering bad news about a grant? Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing to do, and this applies to everything, whether it be, you know, hiring somebody or marrying somebody is, is for it to not be a surprise. Um, if you know something may be coming in some way or another, get out in front of it. Let me know. See if there's something I can do. Um, see if I can help in some way or another, if I can refer somebody or I can do something. But, you know, the first time I hear from you shouldn't be for you to tell me that you're ceasing operations or your CEO quit or your bookkeeper stole your money or you lost your lease or any of those types of things. The surprises are a bad thing. So if you can get out in front of it in some way or another, that's always a better thing. And then, you know, I think we talked about this last week. I mean, what we value in all of our relationships with our partners is honesty and transparency. Don't BS me. If something bad happened, that's okay. You know, I, I understand it. If we knew that we were going to get a proven return, we would have asked for a proven return. Um, there's a little bit of a, of a roll of the dice here between funders and grantees. Sometimes it comes up craps. And if it comes up craps, tell me about it. And tell me why it happened um, and tell me what you're doing about it and ask for my help if possible. But dancing around it, pretending it's not what it is, taking the chance that I'm going to hear about it in a different way from someone else. None of these are good. So I would just, you know, it's it's like the four year old who breaks the vase or something, you know, I mean, go in and tell the truth. And and I think generally, you know, grown ups will respond appropriately. Um, I think one of the things that's tricky about the funder nonprofit relationship is that at a basic level, sometimes we are scared of funders and it can be one of those things. There's almost a mentality. I've not heard anyone say it outright, but of like, if, if, if we call them again, they'll remember they give us money and they'll take it away. There is that feeling sometimes. I always counsel people to say, you know what, in, once you receive money to say, how much do you want to hear from us? Like what like, do you want to hear from us monthly or weekly or like what, how, how should we keep you updated and informed and involved and let them tell you? Um, but what do you, what do you like to hear? Like what, how, what, how do you like to hear from organizations once you've given them a grant? I like to hear good news when you have good news. Um, I know. And I like to hear bad news when you have bad news. If things are just kind of plugging along and it's basically the same as it was when I funded you, then, you know, 
every six months, pick up the phone and just say, hey, I just want to let you know that we're here. Everything's good. And, uh, you know, I look forward to sending you a report when our grant term is over. But if there are big things one way or the other, I'd like to hear it from you. And what's the responsibility from the on the nonprofit to t- like to step up and like lead that relationship? Do you look to them to to steer it or are you and your program officers actively checking in? No, we, we don't want to harass you. You know, we want to leave you alone. Um, we don't think it's our job to call you and say, you know, hey, what's going on? It's not an anybody's call list for, you know, check in with all of your nonprofits this week. So we would like nonprofits to do that, but we'd like them to help us find a relationship that works for both of us where nobody is overburdened either in making the call or receiving the call. All right. Thanks for that. Thanks for that insight. And now no more surprises. There's always surprises on this show. <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing <laughs> right, today. Can I ask about Star is Born again? I, we could talk about it. You seem really into it. <laughs> I did. The dog was spectacular. Are you going to see it again? <laughs> I might. <laughs> is that I, really where you're going after this? I am. I'm oh, going straight to watch gotcha. a Star is Born. Gotcha. That's all for today's episode of How We Run. Please check out goodwaysinc.com to find past episodes of this podcast and other tips about working in nonprofit. If you have any questions you want me to ask a funder on this podcast, you can tweet me at goodwaysinc. Please subscribe to How We Run on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. I'm Julie Lacature, and we'll see you next week for another new episode.